Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. In the summer of 2022, Kentucky Humanities had the opportunity to co-produce a special podcast entitled Bell Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond. Through hours of interviews and extensive research, University of Louisville grad student Katie Cross Gibson brings the listener an intimate portrait of one of the most influential African-American critics, authors, and feminists of our time. In this mini-series, you'll find a thorough examination of the life Bell Hooks lived, reflections from her friends and colleagues, and the thoughts and philosophy which guided her for 69 years. It was an honor and a privilege to know her and to love her and for her to love me. You don't have to use this, but it's on my heart. Um, I don't want it to be haughty, but... I love Belle, and Belle loved me, and I'm so grateful for that. I love you, Belle. Hello, I'm Katie Cross Gibson, and this is the final episode of Belle Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond. In the months following Belle's death, there's been an outpouring of adoration from people across the world and readings, symposiums, and other events continue to be held in Belle's honor. But did Belle ever speak to how she wanted to be remembered? How do we even begin to put her legacy, her work, into action in our own lives? And how can we better serve activists and thinkers like Belle, especially creators of color and Black women? When they called to say she was being inducted into the Kentucky Writers Hall of Fame. Her answer was, it's about time. Gwenda Motley, Belle's younger sister. Some people would say, well, she is so had such an attitude. Well, no, I think it's that she felt all these years and all the things that I've done, you know, you've written 40 books. And now, why not at the 20th book? I don't want to start crying, but I think one of the reasons why she's gone is because of that that expectation of of women and expectation of Black women. So instead of writing 10 books and being well-regarded, she felt the need to write 30. And it's not that she wouldn't have written 30 anyway. You know, she never got the recognition that she deserves, even though she's famous worldwide. It was never easy for her. Crystal Wilkinson, Kentucky Poet Laureate and University of Kentucky English professor. We have been taught by, as Black women, as Black people, but I think particularly as Black women, that you have to do twice as much. You have to do twice as much to be recognized. Because there are other sort of iconic feminists that, not that their lives have been easy, but you know, they had like the best of healthcare. They had the best of salaries. They had the best of publishing deals. And Bell, although despite 
the oppression was famous and well-known, she had to work at least twice as hard, if not more than twice. I could probably name 20 Black women that we've lost before the age of 70 who were in similar situations. Ntozake Shange, too soon. Audrey Lord too soon. June Jordan, too soon. When you're constantly trying to prove yourself and you're also trying to work for freedom and liberation, there's not often a lot of time for self-care. And self-care is such a, a buzzword, but I mean it in the in the most basic of ways, like being taken care of on a very individual level, you know, by yourself and others. And so when you're you're when you're pouring out everything you have and not much is coming in, then there's a, a suffering that takes place. And I've seen more Black women go away too soon from that than, than any other category. More of us die early. I'm a very family-centered person. I'm Southern. I mean, so there's all kinds of things that Southern Black person should do. And, and I think I probably have done most of those things. But as I've as I got to know Bill, you know, there were moments when I realized, wow, you can do something that's just about you that feeds your your soul and spirit. Linda Strongleak, provost at Haverford College. She helped me to understand that that was necessary, honestly. And that's probably one of the biggest things about her, that biggest changes in me. She really helped me to understand that we as individuals especially as women and women of color who taught to sacrifice sort of, you know, almost everything, life and limb, deserve something that's just about us as well. And that, that's self-care and self-love. Belle was prolific as a writer and an intellectual. Damaris B. Hill, University of Kentucky English professor. And in some ways resented and disregarded because she was not exploitable in the same ways. And many Black women experience that because even if people are resistant to admitting it, if you are raised in a patriarchal, white supremacist, heteronormative, imperialist, capitalist, superpower nation, where identity is a marker of success or denial. If you grow up believing the closer you are to male, the closer you are to white, the more entitled you are to certain benefits of life, any person that is further away from white, further away from male, further away from straight, further away from wealthy, that stands up and demonstrates that they are not a lesser intellectual, less prolific, less engaging than you. Or even if they stand up and in one sentence or in two sentences demonstrate their intellectual aptitude not only exceeds your expectations for that person, but also exceeds what you understand about yourself. That person, that Black woman genius has then 
insulted subconsciously everything that that person understands about themselves and about the inheritance of uh, white supremacy in America. And so people can get angry and don't even understand that why they're angry, but they're angry because they have been lied to. The whole history of intellectualism in the modern world centers on white men. And so to find out that you're not biologically smarter or, you know, the education that wealth may have afforded you still has not left you intellectually dominant, that can create some resentment. But it is it is the, the job of the resented person to find the root of that anger because the Black woman genius has not disappointed you. The lies and inheritance of patriarchy have. still in the process of mourning bow and it's it hits like any mourning process you know like any any grief any grief it hits us in such strange times crescent molly mason professor of philosophy at haverford college and i most recently not even the day of the the like the roe v wade stuff like it was just nauseated. It was like, I can't even talk to Belle about this. Like, I can't believe Belle is not here to talk to. And then I simultaneously had the feeling like, I'm so glad she's not here to see this. Then again, felt her in my head saying to me, I've told you, it's in the work, feminist backlash. There's, you know, it's it, like the way that white supremacy works. Like, none of this is a surprise, right? None of this. Berea College Vice President for Alumni, Communications, and Philanthropy, and good professor of Appalachian Studies, Chad Berry. After Belle's death, there have been times when I've just wanted to talk to Belle about an event, you know, the Will Smith slap or something disturbing that has happened in our society, and those seem to be happening with a higher frequency of late. And I just it makes me want to miss Belle for those conversations and how enlightening and stimulating and, and often challenging they were. Zila Eisenstein, activist and political theorist. I'm sure if Belle were alive today, she would be joining me in the abolitionist movement more than what we had done historically. And I'm sorry that I can't explore uh, some of the newest developments for freedom with her. I remember one of the last times I saw her before, right when I was leaving Berea to start teaching at UK. And I said, oh, Belle, it'll be fine. I'll be down here to see you. And she said, she sort of shook her head and um, didn't think that I would be. And I did come back and see her, of course, several times, but uh, it wasn't with the frequency that it had been uh, when when I worked at Berea. And then, of course, we talked on the phone, but the pandemic uh, was here and present, and I think I just thought I'd have more time. Kentucky writer, journalist, and activist Silas House. One thing that really helped me with that was after she died, I was asked to participate in a two or three things where I had to write about her, and so it just sort of forced me to sort of think about that relationship and what I missed about her and the complexities of her 
writing has always been my way of getting through everything. And so it was helpful to be asked to do those things because it forced me to sit down and do it. And I, I probably would have put it off otherwise, you know, so it did help that process of grief. After Belle passed, I just had this absolute certainty that she's not gone. Beth Fagan, professor at Berea College. Her body is gone, but her spirit is very much alive. In Buddhism, there's this notion of the continuation body, which is, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote about this in The Art of Living. It's the, the level of our being that continues on after our physical form dies in the impact that we leave on other people through our words, through the actions of our lives, through the memories that we created with other people for good or for ill. And our continuation body keeps rippling out forever. Belle's continuation body is pretty strong (laughs) because she touched so many people's lives through her work, but also through those of us who were lucky enough to cross paths with her physically through all the memories that we made together. It, it was interesting when she when she died that like everybody, you know, like everybody who was anybody was tweeting about her. You know, Kamala Harris, like the vice president of the United States, tweeted about Bell's death. And I don't know if she knew. I think I know she knew she changed a lot of people's lives, but I don't know if she even realized the impact of her work on people because it was stunning. People criticized her a lot for, you know, talking about patriarchy and black men and imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. Right? I mean, you know, there are so the so the critiques would come the Beyonce thing. She heard a lot of critique and I don't know if she knew the extent to which she would be recognized and missed after she was gone. So I always, you know, try to remind people to give people their flowers while they're here. Don't wait until they're gone. She worried about the legacies of Black women, you know, thinking about how Zora Neale Hurston died in poverty and obscurity. And, you know, Alice had to sort of go looking for Zora. That's the name of the essay um, she published in Ms. Magazine to sort of remind the world of, of Zora. So she she wanted to make sure that she left a legacy behind. She wanted to have the Bell Hooks Institute here in Berea. The center is a part of Berea College proper, right? It is um, on the campus. Um, It is beautiful for those who haven't seen it. It is really stunning. It's a stunningly beautiful space that honors Belle. And you see her image as soon as you walk in there. So um, if you haven't been to the center, but it is the sort of academic space. I mean, the Institute was Belle. And it was about specifically about conversation with people being in conversation and community with people. I remember when she brought in like a local farmer, you know, so she was really into thinking locally um, about, you know, how do we maintain the history of Black farmers and such, right? So, so it was both local, but it was about being in conversation with Bill. He wanted to be remembered as someone who kind of wanted to save the world. He wanted 
not so much to be <gasps> bell hook as remembered as someone who said or taught or believed or and or lived a way that inspired somebody or a way that was an example to someone or a way that, okay, I'm not so big up here that I can't meet you where you are. And that's a lot of what the the Institute was about. She knew so many people. So she knew celebrities, you know, she knew academics, she knew medical physicians, she knew, and also, you know, she knew the woman down the street who sold tomatoes. She knew the postman. She knew she knew everyone in the community. And one of the things that was really important for her, especially since Berea is located in Appalachia, is to say, you know, we need to have a space where communities and people thinking and working towards the same thing, maybe in different ways, maybe in different languages, can have a space where they can talk about and we can work work through, have conversations, do the, the meaty work of working of thinking about how we actually go about dismantling these things. And we know that one of the things that Bell believed was that conversation, theory, those conversation and theory are ways and means of resistance. And that those are ways and means of doing the dismantling work and that those are necessary to that work. And also that we can't do that work in isolation, sort of in siloed kind of communities. And so having the Institute be located in Berea for her was really important. So she could bring Gloria Steinem, so she could bring Emma Watson, so she could bring Darnell Moore and have them talk to the people who literally live next door to her, who literally are selling bread, who literally are growing food and really have like kind of beautiful intergenerational, interracial, interclass, those kind of conversations when Laverne Cox came and it was at the height of Orange is the New Black. And so I had to literally go and go and walk her from Boone Tavern to the, <laughs> to the Institute. So here am I, you know, and I'm, I'm short like Belle and, you know, here's Laverne and her five inch heels and um, tiring and beautiful. And, um, but just listening to her talk about how reading Bell sort of saved her life. So I think that has been the most powerful thing about being in relationship with her is that knowing, you know, that when she was, was writing the books, I don't know if she was trying to save people's lives, right? I mean, I think she was just writing what she felt needed to be written, but I've experienced that multiple times with people that they just were like this, I, because I read you, I didn't commit suicide or I didn't, you know, that I felt like I could go on and that there was hope for me and that, you know, I could find love. Um, once Bell's estate is all settled, um, we will be working with the, the state will be working with uh, the college to reopen the Institute. That was her wish. Um, and really it'll be, you know, sort of about having those conversations about Bell and her work and her legacy and her life. And people ha will have access to her papers at the Institute. So if people want scholars want to come and study, they're also available in the Berea College archives. And I know a few people have 
already been here to uh, work with the papers. They'll be able to see her quilts and some of her artifacts. Uh, her baby doll from Bone Black is in there. So it's, um, you know, a lot of her personal things. Bill also was a painter, which a lot of people don't know. So her paintings are in the Institute. And then she has um, an art collection that is in there as well. So people will be able to see some of Belle's personal art, some of the art that she made, volumes of her books in other languages. So it's really sort of a place to celebrate her life and to continue her legacy. As a Kentucky humanities lover, you've heard of Spalding University's nationally distinguished MFA in creative writing. Now at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, we've added two innovative programs in professional writing. Your career goals take center stage as you work one-on-one -on -one with a faculty mentor to gain the writing skills employer's prize. Learn more about our low residency master's and certificate in professional writing at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. And we're back with Bell Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond. So if you've listened to the entire miniseries up to this point, first off, thank you, loyal listeners. And second, I hope you're eager to learn even more about Bell and ready to put her words into action to continue her life's work. But that can be kind of overwhelming, right? I mean, she was Bell Hooks. Well, don't worry, I empathize. But it takes a village, and as such, I've asked some of the folks closest to Belle for their advice. As we wrap up the second half of this episode and wrap up this mini-series, we'll hear more about what you can start reading, watching, and doing to help ensure Belle's work continues on through us all. I advise people to do the YouTube lectures and, and hear what she's saying first, which made people realize, oh, you know, I need to read this book. To hear her, to hear her speak, to hear her interviews, that was the best way for people to get to know her. People will sometimes ask me, what should I read about hugs? I'm like, I, tell me what you like. If you tell me what you like, I'll find you what to read, right? Because there's something for you somewhere. If people are not finding the things, they're not looking for the things. <laughs> There's a lesser known Bell Hooks essay in this essay collection about Simone de Beauvoir, but it's called Bell and Beauvoir, True Philosophers. And it, for me, is for, I guess, obvious reasons at this point, my most favorite Bell Hooks essay. It's there that she talks about her relationship with Simone de Beauvoir and how Simone de Beauvoir helped her to understand herself as a like, like an independent woman thinker and also how she had this kind of relationship with Sartre in which she felt like, and I think this mirrored some of how Belle felt in her own life, her own autobiography, I, I think especially early on, that she was sort of being contained and she was being overshadowed by someone who, who maybe was not even as brilliant a thinker as she was. And so, in that essay, she uses, I think, the parallel of Simone de Beauvoir and Sartre's relationship and her kind of autobiographical relationship. And again, Simone de Beauvoir's saying, I'm not a philosopher. Her, her inability 
to understand herself as a philosopher. And Belle in that essay claims it. She's like, I am a philosopher. I wish I had had actually like the quote, but but it's just such a powerful essay to me. Again, for all the reasons that I've named that in that essay, she takes up a foundational claim to the history of thought and positions herself centrally there. Being who I am and like my history and coming to that essay, every time I read it, I feel seen, I feel challenged, I feel like I'm reading like something a friend had written. I think we're doing the work of constructing Bell's legacy now. I mean, even this is what we're literally doing right now. And as people continue to do the work of constructing Bell's legacy, I think that that will be, like, that is a really important sort of major kind of aspect of her kind of thinking is her, you'll be able to go to that essay and say, you can call Bell Hooks a philosopher because she herself called herself a philosopher. And we don't have to have a question about it ever again. For children, of course, I would recommend her children's books. I love Happy to be Nappy. I love B-Boy Buzz. You know, her books are just so celebratory of specifically African-American children, but really all children, I think, will just get great delight from these books. I read her books to the children of my friends. We read them together. Um, It's a celebration. It really is. For my mother and my mother-in-law, we bought them copies of All About Love because I think for many people men or women of any age, this is a book that will speak truth to your heart in a way that is illuminating and healing. There's so much about love in our culture that is misunderstood or sort of flattened out. And her book really goes deep into all the dimensions of love, all the ways in which it's misunderstood or ignored or misappropriated. She shines a bright light on many insights about love that I think we would all benefit from hearing. For uh, my husband's aunt, who lives in Italy recently, I bought her the book, The Will to Change. Um, It's a book about men and masculinity. And I think for her, this book is particularly poignant because of she's a feminist. She's a strong woman with you know, strong opinions. And suffice it to say, this was the book for her. Maybe my favorite thing she ever wrote is the her critique of the Farrakhan Million Man March. It was just um, at, in the heat of the moment when uh, Farrakhan was calling for this Million Man March. And, you know, many uh, Black women and Black feminists were supporting the idea and and uh, Bell said, no way. When you stand against patriarchy, when you stand against capitalism, when you stand against heterosexism, I'll march with you. But no, I will not march in a patriarchal, heteronormative march, claiming, demanding the rights of men, because the men you're claiming rights for are you know, not inclusive enough. And then no man should be free without the black woman being free as well. So, you know, and then she ends it by saying, going to the personal, when you address the problem this way, I'll be more than glad 
to be in the kitchen and cook you a meal. Well, if you really want to delve into the Bell Hooks feminist, I would read a feminist theory from Margin the Center first. Beauty laid bare, I think, too, if you really want to see sort of how, you know, she thought about beauty in life and the importance of beauty in everybody's life from, you know, that person who is barely making ends meet to, you know, a person who can afford a Picasso or something. <laughs> when I w- was an owner and proprietor of um, Wild Fig, we were really fortunate to have, I had two young women uh, interns who were from Berea, in fact, um, who worked one summer and had um, several sessions around and discussions and work around Sisters of the Yam with a group. And many of those people talk about, and the young women themselves talk about, that that was was life-changing to sort of work through the chapters that Bell had written. So I think that that's important. I think every Black woman in the country should read Sisters of the Yam. I like something that I remember because there's a certain amount of um, tongue-in-cheek beauty and sweetness that happens in Bone Black, Memories of Black Girlhood or Memories of Girlhood by Bell Hooks. And um, I like the end of chapter two, when she's talking about this Tom Thumb wedding that her segregated school uses to raise money for things that they need and how even this charitable exercise is once again rooted in ideas of white supremacy and economics. And so the person, the child that is chosen to be a bride uh, this space is usually reserved for a child that comes from a family that can sell the most tickets or provide the most charitable donations. And everybody is encouraging young Gloria Bell to celebrate the fact that she gets to be a bridesmaid. And they wrap her in a paper red dress. The metaphor she uses is that while walking, she she rips the dress and she kind of says like a woman's heart, it's, it's hard to mend. I think the book of hers that is most like knowing Belle is Bone Black. Because in that book, you, you get so many of her uh, vulnerabilities and her strengths and you see them side by side and you see her brilliance, her genius, but you also see her tenderness. And so I think that book gets you the closest to knowing her as possible. When I read Bone Black, it's like visiting with Belle. I read it recently and it was very emotional to read it. Even though I felt like I was with her, it made me miss her more because I knew I couldn't physically be with her. And it made me feel like I was. It's challenging, and yet it's not. It's a challenge in that, what do you do? What what should you do to honor her? Is it just me? No. And then again, it's how could you not honor a person who is so well-deserving? No, it's not hard to honor Gloria. 
I think it is a little hard to honor Belle because I know Gloria. I grew up with Gloria, my sister Gloria. So not hard to honor her, but honoring Belle is quite different. Belle didn't have children. Toward the end of her life, she didn't have a partner. So when people think about legacy, people are very often thinking about partnership legacy, familial legacy. And for her, she knew that I don't have those kind of legacies are not the legacy I will have. The legacy I will have is the legacy of my thinking, the legacy of my thought, the legacy of my work. In 2018, I moved to Harvard for college and again, had been aware of Belle's health and, and getting worse. And I was like, somebody's got to talk to her before she dies. <laughs> I do oral history and, you know, I'm a kind of like an archivist. So I'm like always thinking about historically, you know, I just can't have this idea. I would really love to do a set of interviews with Belle at the end of her life, sort of reflecting upon it. In August of 2020, I did a set of interviews with her. So I, I spent about a week with her and I uh, would go over every day and just see if she felt like talking. And my intention was to answer the question that you asked me, like, what do you want to leave like at the end of your life? Here toward the end of your career, as you reflect upon kind of what you've done and what you've contributed in your life, et cetera. I just wanted, I wanted to give her an opportunity to take account, to answer the question of what do you want us to know? Like what's important to you? And she kept saying, I asked her in like 10, different ways, what the work, my work. I, I wrote the books, read the books. I really encourage all of our listeners to seek out her books because they are gifts waiting to be unwrapped. And the first time you read them, it, you will not forget it. You will remember. I see so many of her quotes that are floating around the internet. And I love that. I love that, you know, her quotes show up on Instagram and Twitter. And, but I hope that those people go beyond the quotes and read entire works by her. And don't just drop a quote every once in a while, but really learn what she was about and really read her work. Belle worked too hard and gave us too much for us not to honor her, first of all. Like her gifts to us are too immense for us not to honor her. So I think we honor her by reading her work. There's enough of her work that there is at least one of her titles that will reach every individual. And I think we honor her by by reading her work. We honor her by continuing to talk about her work. We honor her by continuing her work. I want 100 years from now, people to be reading bell hooks and having conversations about her, you know, in some space and time, because her work is that important to honor her wishes, her final wishes, and to make sure that the Institute is back up and running and people are having conversations about her and her work and her life and her legacy. The activist in Bell was always searching for, to make life better for all of us, to make it more equitable. It's why feminism was for everybody in her mind. And I think to honor Bell is to take her writing and her pleas and her ideas and try to put them in action. Uh, that's the best way that, that we can honor Belle. 
What I really want to mention is don't read her words to tell you anything. Read her words to think. You know, that's what she would want. Ideas and words do not stand still. Um, She can help you really think brilliantly. Just don't be lazy. She's not telling you what to think, you know, and she never did. That was always what was so good. She, She offers ways to think. Read her, think deeply, find your way of making it matter, and then do something with it. And make this world a little better. And then then you're, you know, you're doing her justice. We continue or attempt to be truth tellers in our own lives. Don't hold our tongues when things need to be said, which is more difficult than one may think. You know, one of the things that I think Belle believed in, and I certainly believe in, is that it's our duty in this world, particularly the way that the world is going now, to to say something. You know, if you're sitting at a dinner table with your with your family and somebody says something that's racist or somebody says something that's uh, misogynistic, you are duty bound for the liberation of us all to say something to let it be don't, known that you don't approve. And that's at the dinner table, that's at the boardroom, that's in the classroom, that's on the subway, that's in the cab, that's on the hike, around the campfire, on the playground, wherever it is. I think you can honor Bell by listening to others. And I think too often, we wanna be the ones talking all the time And the best way to really learn is to sit back and listen to others talk, especially to listen to those who aren't necessarily the most empowered ones in the room, you know, to listen, to get their point of view. I think being authentically yourself, which is really hard, really, really hard for for most people, because everyone is usually trying to please other people and trying to manage other people in their presentation, but being as authentic to yourself as you can. There are so many people in this, in this Commonwealth who don't know about her, don't know about her courage um, and her audacity and her intellect and her vision, her values and the kind of society or Kentucky that she was championing and rallying for that is something that we should all try to chip away at by making her more known making her right up there with some of the greatest kentuckians near near the top of some of the greatest kentuckians that this commonwealth has seen we should name all parks all schools all um which have plenty of monuments named after Bell Hooks and Breonna Taylor, them both. We have like Daniel Boone National Park here, right? Like Bell Hooks has already done more than Daniel Boone. So if we have a national park named after Daniel Boone, we need to think what is bigger than a national park to name for Bell. We, we need that. And we should collectively decide that because one person's dream or what I imagine, it's just not big enough 
We need to begin with a collective dream and build on that collective dream. Every school, it should be an elementary school in every town, a high school in every town, a middle school in every town, a university in every space, named for Gloria Watkins, a.k.a. Bell Hooks. I want us all to allow for the possibility that a Black girl who grew up poor in Western Kentucky has something to say that this world should hear. I think that as we have started to do readings and symposiums and discussions and exhibits, and I think if we just don't let that die, if we let her work speak for itself, through itself, but through us, because it isn't going to just happen. I hope and pray that as she has touched people and made an impact around this world, I would hope that, and hope and pray, that because people have felt that and have enjoyed her work, embraced her work, believed in her work, that we will not let it just end with her passing. And I hope that in Kentucky, especially, especially Kentucky, we will continue to let her legacy live on through her home state. Bell Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond, a Think Humanities podcast miniseries, hosted by Katie Cross Gibson and Bill Goodman, written by me, Katie Cross Gibson. Produced by Kentucky Humanities in conjunction with Dynamics Productions of Lexington, Kentucky. This miniseries wouldn't have been possible without the help of so many people working and contributing behind the scenes. So I'd like to give a few shout outs. Disclaimer, this is probably not an exhaustive list, but here goes. Many, many thanks to Gwenda Motley and Dr. Valerie Watkins, two of Bell's sisters. Thanks again to our interviewees, as well as Kelly Linville and Lisa Griffin. And there are just so many other people we would have loved to speak with and reach out to as well. I definitely have to mention Jay Stringer. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with me about Bad Baby Bell and offering a few contacts. Thanks to Kanika Cheatham and Max Maxwell at the University of Louisville Art and Sciences Department of Communication. Thanks to Bill Goodman, Zoe Kaler, and the other fine folks at Kentucky Humanities. Uh, my gratitude goes out to Allison Webster, formerly of the University Press of Kentucky, for giving me a copy of Appalachian Elegy many moons ago. Shout out to the University of Louisville Department of Humanities. Thanks and eternal gratitude to my spouse, my parents, and friends, specifically to my granny, whose unapologetically Appalachian spirit runs through the work of this miniseries. And finally, thanks to Bell Hooks herself. May you rest in power, Bell. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.